Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Early three words, Ben. Yeah. Make it stop. Just make it stop, man. This was the ugliest backdoor cover of a dirtiest... Oh, my Love God. It. What what are we doing? All right. The Kist and Solak Show. Here we are. SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation bringing it to you. We are reacting to this Eagles loss to the Seahawks. Ben, I'll ask you right out of the gate. Where are you at emotionally? I mean, I've just given up on this team at this point, and everything about them makes me angry or makes me laugh, and I'm not sure exactly where I stand on this. I'm sure I'll vacillate between the two throughout this recording. How are you doing, brother? I feel I feel great. <laughs> I bought Seahawks minus five at open. My man. Everybody was on Seahawks minus six and a half at close, and what did we say? What did we say on the, on the pregame podcast, Mike? We said... I think my score prediction was thirty-four nineteen, mm-hmm. and then the Eagles would score an eight-point touchdown to make it a one-possession game in garbage time. <laughs> Obviously, Eagles defense did not give up thirty-four points. Excited to talk about that. Eagles offense was not at nineteen uh, until they had their garbage time touchdown. But there you go. Once again, Carson Wentz came into the game with one objective: this loss will show up in my one-score game win-loss record, and it will not show up as a win, sir. Score that last touchdown. Game ends as a one-score game. I suck in those circumstances. Well done. Dick Rod is the most needlessly clutch player <laughs> in Philadelphia Eagles history. It's unbelievable. How about Travis Fulgham is the one who batted it down to him? And like the whole game, like, where's Fulgham? It's like, don't worry. We're going to use him later. We're going to use him later. He's going to def- volleyball spike the ball to Richard Rodgers in the Hail Mary <laughs> when nothing matters anymore. Doug Peterson only, what, a week and a half ago saying that defenses were scheming up ways to take away Travis mm-hmm. Fulgham, did his own scheming up of taking yeah. away Travis Fulgham. How many targets did he have? Because 52, was- he had 52% of the snaps, which is the fewest number of uh, like percent of the snaps that he has had since he's been active for the Eagles per uh, Mike Clay of ESPN. Two targets. Listen, you can't, you can't scheme up. Fulgham, you can't, you can't scheme him out of the offense if we don't put him in the offense. It's big brain. You get it? Like defense is like, what are they going to do with Fulgham? Doug Peters like, you ready for this curveball? Nothing. Yeah. Defenses are stunned. Only give up four yards in the entire first quarter. This is how we win. Speaking of which, throwing them a curveball, all the chatter this week about Jalen Hurts and, you know, Jeffrey Lurie gently reminding Doug Peterson that, hey, you know, if you want to pull the plug on Wentz at any point in this game, man, go for it. So there was that directive or, you know, just request or I don't even know what to call it. And then throughout the week saying, oh, Jalen Hurts has been taking first team snaps and we should see an increase of snaps from Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts comes in. He completes one pass, speed out to Alshon Jeffrey, which I'm being very generous when I call anything that Alshon Jeffrey does a speed anything. Completes it for six yards, though. They immediately take him out of the game. Carson Wentz comes in, gets sacked. Now, granted, everything was covered up on that play. Matt Pryor had help and still got beat. I get it, but the optics on it were terrible. Hertz doesn't take, uh, I don't think, another meaningful snap for the rest of the game. The most meaningful snap he had beyond that was coming in for, what was it, a a third down, but he was wearing the wrong helmet because you can't have two green dot helmets, two communicators on the field at the same time. So they had to take a penalty. So they can't even get that part right after working on it throughout the entirety of the week. What is, and again, this just goes to the point that we made earlier on in the week. 
how on board was Doug Peterson with the Jalen Hurts pick? Right. Because it looks like not at all. Mm-hmm. Your number one takeaway from this game, and I, and perhaps this is, I think, the number one conversation point from this game, and perhaps this is just an extension of the fact that the broadcast wouldn't stop talking about it, and so we <laughs> kind of have to talk about it. Who's at fault? What's going on? How do we fix it? Right? That that overarching wide umbrella pers- uh, questions that really don't have any neat answers to them. Specifically, in the in the case of what we're looking at here, Lewis Riddick said that he, he was asked, like, well, you know, Carson Wentz is bad. Let's talk about it. And Lewis Riddick was like, you can't evaluate him in this context. And you can't, right? He's playing poorly. Mm-hmm. There's a chicken and egg here. The context being bad negatively affects Wentz. And when you look at the way he's deteriorated through 2019 and into this year, in terms of his trust on timing concepts, his reaction to pressure, his pocket management, his turnovers... You see how not trusting his wide receivers and not trusting his offensive line has affected him, and now he's got ingrained bad habits. This is how development works. It is hand in hand. So there is a way in which the context is inescapable, mm-hmm. and 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 I, I've said this before. If you took Wentz right now today and just put him in a different city, if you just put him in a different team, he'd be better, assuming that that team's got better receivers, better offensive line than Philadelphia, which most teams do. Right. And he'd be absolutely he'd be better. That's the, you can't really, you know, a quarterback will always be hand in hand with his context. The, the question is, go ahead. Can you go for a, does he go from a bottom five, in my opinion, starter right now to right. what, what, what could he be? Like you look at the, the context surrounding Deshaun Watts is not the greatest situation. He's playing like a top three quarterback. And that's right. Year. And that, and, and that's the thing, right? Is that you, 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 if Wentz were playing well, it would be evident relative to the context. Right, right. And correct. it's because everything is bad. You know, oh, maybe that's why Wentz is bad. No, Wentz is also bad in right. and of himself. Sujanary is like, he is bad. So next step, what do we do with this? And, and, and I thought, you know, for everything that Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick were talking about during the broadcast, and they made some good points and some bad points, Steve Levy, 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 <laughs> Steve did a really good job at hammering home the important questions. He's, all right, so what do we do with this contract? And that's that's what we cycle back to. We talked about this last month. The number one priority for the Eagles remains surviving and finding value from the Wentz deal. Because it's not going away this year. It's not going away next year. It may not even go away through 2022. And of course, you could trade and restructure via a trade and sign him to a new deal and exchange dead cap, so on and so forth, if you had a team that was willing to dance. What team is going to be willing to dance with you on the way Wentz is playing right now? Because again, Wentz is playing badly. So... Mm. Because the orientation of the team has to be on somehow finding ways for Wentz to improve so that the court, the contract isn't a complete waste, a total wash, the Eagles insist on leaving him in and insist on having him continue to play despite how bad he's playing, despite how the offense isn't moving the football. Because for them, evidently, you know, I think if anything is very clear, it's Doug Peterson still believes that he has what is necessary to fix Carson Wentz, that he can right. build Carson Wentz back up. So he's not going to put Jalen Hurts in there because it's not worth seeing what he's got in Jalen Hurts. Because if Jalen Hurts ever becomes a starting quarterback of this team, he's been fired long ago and he didn't sign up to develop Jalen Hurts. He signed up to take Carson Wentz, make him a quarterback, win games with Carson Wentz. So he's yes. going to try to fix Carson. And he has no interest in doing anything with Hurts. We want to see Hurts, number one, because, dear God, what a relief it would be to watch anything else. <laughs> just put two screwdrivers through my eyeballs. Right. But number two, we want to see Jalen Hurts because we're going to be fans of this team in five years. And so for right. us, it's like if, if that dude's anything, it's useful. If he's functional as a starter somehow in this system with these players, great. We like I'll, I'll pay Wentz $30 million to stay on the bench as long as we like look 
functional again. If he's even developmentally interesting, some big plays, some good plays with his legs, well, then maybe he's movable as a trade acquisition. When you do this rebuild, he's going to return some value for you, and you're going to figure that out, whatever. So that that line of questioning, is Wentz bad? Why is Wentz playing poorly? What can they do with this contract? So what's your decision moving forward? This is this this is what's critical now for the Eagles through the next five, six weeks. Because officially now, Giants lost, Browns lost, Seahawks lost. You cannot be talking about the division. You have to stop. They're going to keep talking about it, but you have to stop talking about the division. <laughs> and just say, we. what are we doing now to be as good as possible in 2021? And it is clear that most of the fan base, I think you and I included, the owner and the general manager think that that's play Jalen Hurts. And the head coach thinks that that's play Carson Wentz. Right. And that's your your inherent conflict for the next six weeks. Yeah. And let's talk about Carson Wentz in this one. And let's evaluate him within that mess of a context. You know, I had this I had this fancy tracker set up where I was going to be like, okay, here's the Wentz tracker. Here's the Hertz tracker. Well, I already went through all the notes on the Hertz tracker. And look, if, if their plan is to like integrate Hertz, like he's going to get 10 to 15 snaps, he's going to throw the ball. I really do think that it's you're doing a disservice to Hertz. You're doing a disservice to Wentz if you're trying to get him in a rhythm. There's zero chance of any of that if you're running a two quarterback system. What are we doing here? But like the one track at the very, very beginning, first throw, he was late, right? And probably a drop in there, but I may have been tipped. I don't know, but he was late on that throw. The second throw was an RPO where he misses a, a wide open Greg Ward. That should be easy money 100 times out of 100 times. Schemed wide open, right? Third play, Alshon drop. Everything is bad. Three and out. Next drive. He checks to a fade on third down again to Rager. Doesn't get the PI, PI. I thought it was a pass interference. Also pretty meh from Jalen Rager. Okay, okay. We got to – I don't mean to cut you off so quickly. We yeah. got to talk about this. We do. What in the name of God with Jalen Rager's film made the Eagles believe catch point plays were a good idea? Do you remember summer scouting 2019, yes. Mike? Like, Me and it was, you had this conversation. We had this conversation. We had this exact conversation about him and addressing I, the ball in the air. I was reticent. I was worried about him. Yes. Address the ball in the air. And then we saw another season. I was like, oh, that was better filming them addressing the ball in the air. Maybe this is something he's going to get better at. But I have no, like, they either target him one yard behind behind the line of scrimmage or on deep vertical outside routes. Mm. He doesn't turn. (laughs) He doesn't run anything breaking. Yeah. At all. Yeah. And, all right, guess what? You have your slant guy. It's Alshon Jeffrey. Oh, it's freaking sick. Alshon's our slant guy. This is awesome. And you have your hitch guy. It's Dallas Goddard. Oh, we've got Dallas Goddard on hitches. You got your seam guy. That's Richard Rodgers. Freaking love the seam routes with Richard Rodgers. And just Jalen Rager is your occasional screen and then a deep ball guy. And it's not, there's nothing. This is, everybody's backwards. Put Rager on the slant. Put Alshon on the the, the random contested nine ball. At least Alshon's tall with big hands. Like, it's... The wide receiver, not even to mention Fulgham not getting snaps, it's amazing to me. Like, yes, Rager should be getting deep targets. It should be with him running away from somebody, right. not running into not the sideline. Right. Oh, Which he, can, he, can't, he can't, you know, hold the red line whatsoever. Like, the, the guy just overall right now, Rager not loving his game. Going back to Wentz, who's 25 of 45, 215, two touchdowns, an interception. That stat line heavily skewed, of course, as we know by the Hail Mary, but... I mean, the underthrow is to Goddard. The first one where he's open down the field, and I think it hit Wagner in the helmet or, or whatever. Just a, a bad underthrow there. Had two guys open underneath as well. Not that he should have thrown it to them, but if you're going to go big, you better hit it. Then the one later in the game where he underthrows it gets bailed out by a pass interference. The very next play puts more juice on it and 
entirely overthrows Goddard. And then I think right after that was was the 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 other fade to Regor, who completely misjudged it in the air, and it looked like he had alligator arms. I just don't think he knew where the thing was going to fall. There was a negative five net passing yards in the in the first half. They come in the second half. They take an immediate sack. They were at, at I think negative eleven net passing yards against one of the worst passing defenses in the NFL. That's not just Doug, man. That's not just the offensive line. It's not just right. Wentz. It is everything. We aren't trying to bag on one guy. And honestly, for the most part, I swear, I really do feel like there were portions in this game where Doug was actually pretty good. The tempo from empty work, right? Yeah. Empty empty worked until mm-hmm. there was a miscommunication with Wentz and Goddard, and it looked like the stupidest throw in the world. But I don't again, Wentz not on the same page. As his main targets. Let's just all pick our jaws up off of the floor, right? And it's like Goddard. It's here for three seasons, has been a starter, and they're running the stinking, you know, it looks like middle read. Like, it looks like they're, you know, tight ends got five options on this route relative to coverage nonsense. (laughs) I tried to find the play in the playbooks we have. I couldn't find it, which pisses me off. But anyway, right. uh, Peterson, deployment of personnel, bad. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I right. think that, that you had a, a fairly even split once again of Miles Sanders to Boston Scott snaps, which I don't love. Uh, you know, Fulgham clearly took a back sheet, back seat to Alshon Jeffrey. But also Miles Sanders coming into this game, I looked up the stat during the game and I was blown away. 29% drop rate. And he had drops in this one too. 29% drop rate, guys. That is the worst out of all running backs in the NFL by far. What happened? To Miles Sanders. Anyway, Ben, go ahead. I don't love the way the personnel is being deployed. I don't love the way it's being used. And one of the things I wrote about in three numbers for this week was the fact that the Eagles only used two personnel groupings against the Browns, 11 and 12 personnel. That was it. Uh, they did a little bit of 13 today, but it was 11. So, so 11, 12 and 13. And they put Caleb Wilson out there. Wilson like didn't understand a play call and they were trying to go hurry up because they thought a play was going to get challenged. And they just like spent 40 seconds in the no huddle being like, Nobody knows we're going there. They just snuck it with Wentz because they had no idea what they were doing, and it was a disaster. But very simple personnel groupings. You have to get creative with how you put your guys out in the field in order to get matchups that you like because you don't have the depth at wide receiver and the depth at tight end and the depth at running back to really rotate around and put in different personnel groupings and take advantage of matchups from a more macro level. So that's where I think creativity fails is I think that they have six or seven guys that are getting out in the field, and I, and I don't like the way they're distributing the snaps to those guys, and yeah. I understand that they're limited by their depth. But uh, to me, that's frustrating. I do not. I, 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 I think in previous weeks, there's been a good argument for creativity in the designs failing. But I, I don't believe that was the case this week. Peterson got the ball out of Wentz's hand extremely quickly uh, today. Wentz was not holding on to the football for very long. When he was, it was very often because first read was covered and they immediately were getting pressure off one of the edges. And that, again, isn't on, on the coaching staff. You expect your quarterback to be able to get to a second read with protection and with a quarterback working through his progressions. And that wasn't the case with Wentz. The continued lack of rolling him out is frustrating. But as we've talked about here before, their play action rollout game from under center and from under shotgun has been atrocious this year. Yeah. Uh, they, If they want to work more sprint outs, I'd be cool with it. But I don't think that it magically solves their problem. Again, I mean, like they had the, the rollout, you know, to Richard Rodgers and they got a nice gain off of that. But they have not been good at this from a season long perspective. I actually looking at the stats, Wentz is like bottom third for differential when it comes to play action versus non-play action. Mm-hmm. And it's because he's actually much less effective 
with play action, which is bizarre. That's a total well, reversal of what, everything it's, we it's know. It's because the longer Wentz has the ball, the worse the play gets. Correct. Right. And with non-play action, ball out first read. Right? Yeah. And, and if we, you know, got Empty. that ball to Rager on the screen or Jeffrey on the on the slant or got it on the hitch. If it's eight, eight yard gain, boy, that's about as good as it gets on a single passing play for Philadelphia nowadays. <laughs> so I thought Peterson did well to open first read. There were RPOs. There were screen calls. There were a lot of the bug, the, the, the bugaboo words, right? The, the buzzwords that people talk about and hunt for when they, when they want to criticize this offensive design, you know, uh, uh, like Dan Orlovsky, for example, for ESPN put out, you know, he, he said, Wentz didn't play well enough in this game. Uh, uh, you know, he often acknowledges this. Uh, but then he went on to talk about the context issues, much like, you know, Lewis Riddick did. Uh, not enough touches for Miles Sanders. We've talked about run pass balance and how the Eagles check out of run plays. I mean, the second play of the game was an RPO. Yep. They got an advantageous pass. Look, Wentz missed the throw. It is one. It is a good design that could have been a run that should have been a pass that was on Wentz. Uh, Wentz out of the pocket one time. We've talked about those issues. QB led the team in rushing. And it's because he's not good going through his progressions. O-line gave up six sacks. Yeah, it's a big problem. And if you move him out of the pocket, hypothetically, you do take fewer sacks. Yeah. But let's not forget that on like the second drive, they ran sprint naked and Jamal Adams just blitzed Wentz because yes. he knew they weren't handing it off. It was behind the jet motion to Rager. That's always their 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 shotgun play action stuff. So he knew it was coming. Uh, and then a multitude of drops. But then he said zero creativity and zero winners outside. And yes, zero winners outside. I just disagree with zero creativity. I think yeah. that, that in the same way, that Wentz's uh, uh, you know performance is capped is limited by the by like, by the context. There's a ceiling that is prescribed to him by the struggles of the people around him, and then he's also playing poorly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Doug Peterson is capped and is limited by the personnel that he's gotten by the way that his quarterback is playing, and then also there are times where Peterson struggles you know makes particular decisions that we don't like particular play calls we don't like a couple weeks ago against the giants i thought it was very frustrating but to me in this game uh he he doesn't get a big criticism from me let's finish off with what we have for our offensive thoughts number one matt Pryor, not a tackle uh we knew this we understood this coming into it uh the two best offensive plays of the first half were a hard count for a free five uh, also carson Wentz throwing a ball several yards short of a line of scrimmage after a bad snap while not being called for an obvious intentional grounding. That would end up being a scoring drive, and then Jake Elliott would miss the extra point. Just a reminder, it is $8 million in dead cap to cut Jake Elliott. I know that hurts Ben in his soul. Uh, ben, any other thoughts on the uh, on the offense here? Uh, Jake Elliott's not the problem. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, on the list of things I'm worried about, Jake Elliott missing a field goal is very low. <laughs> or an extra point is very low. Right, Miles Sanders drops. We talked about Jason Peters at guard. Hey, so we were like, yeah, this is this will be good. You know, this will be better. <laughs> well, we were not right. Right, it was bad. It Peters was bad, really bad. struggled, and uh, I would be curious to go back and look and and see if you know oh, the Eagles didn't run the ball enough. Peters at guard may have limited what they felt comfortable doing, just because their running game is is very multiple and it's very fluid. A lot of the block reads and the keys change relative to the defensive fronts that they get uh, and then that requires a lot of chemistry with the interior guys and I'm, i wonder if maybe peters wasn't fully up to speed on that we have to remember he didn't really get any time in camp at, at guard he was moved to tackle after the dillard injury and he had only been on the roster for a bit uh, I'm, I'm not sure if he had even been on the roster yet i know they initially signed him to be guard but regardless he didn't get much time at guard so i, I wonder if that limited kind of what they wanted to do in the running game um, but yeah, uh, we, we thought the offense was going to be bad. The offense was bad. The same culprits remain bad. Some of the proposed solutions 
empty sets, Peters at guard, had like minimal effects, if any. Mm-hmm. And some of the usual, the, the usual, you know, continued proposed solutions that we have using Travis Fulgham more, installing Jalen Hurts, quarterback run, remain ones that are unlikely to be uh, utilized moving forward. So this is a little ho-hum on the offensive side of the, the recap podcast here. All right. So when we come back here on the Kist and Solak reaction show, uh, we're going to cover the defense. We're going to hit three words. We're going to hit final thoughts, all that good stuff. That's coming up next right after the break. And we're back here on the Kist and Solak show reacting to this Eagles loss to the Seahawks. Let's flip sides to the defensive side of the ball. And I've got some, I got some thoughts on what went, what went down. I, I actually thought, you know, defensively, not that bad, considering this is the number one scoring offense uh, in the league. I mm-hmm. mean, they really kind of held their own. They had two big fourth down stops to start the game, the first two drives. Uh, Javon Hargrave sending his man into another blocking assignment on the, uh, what was it, the jet sweep or, or with David Moore coming across the formation. Uh, that was a great play by him. Barnett had, a, had another one on a sack. And, and, and look, on that sack, yep. was he spinning? Yes. But I'll save you the debate, Ben. And I will say it wasn't the type of ice pick spin sack we're looking for with our jersey bet, even though you squirmed your way. Wait, okay, I'll be honest with you. Uh, yeah. Right I, right when people were like, oh, this one, I for, I'd forgotten that I was supposed to go and look back at that Jerry Barnett <laughs> sack. So I'm trying to find it now really quickly. It was against the Giants? Yeah, it was against the Giants. And let me tell you, that was a clean spin sack. Definitely. You tried to go to like Fran Duffy for the jury, but like the one tonight isn't that one definitely is. So you got to buy his jersey, gentle listener. If you don't know, we had a bet on this going on for years now. I think about three years. If Barnett got a spin sack, then Ben had to buy a jersey. Uh, Barnett was solid early on. I thought the linebackers played great if you don't expect them to ever get off a block, right? Yeah, McLeod will come up and take care of it 10 yards down the field. This is where it breeds a half sack with Brandon Graham. No, I'm right. What are you talking about? You're completely wrong. It's, Brandon Brandon it's Graham does not need to be in on that play. Anyway, uh, linebackers, again, fine if you don't expect them to shed blocks. McLeod had some interesting stuff coming up field uh, early. I thought the game plan, right? Were they trying to bait DK Metcalf into throwing a punch? And was it their best defensive game plan of the year or their worst? Because they had two penalties after mm-hmm. that play. DK still had, what, on the first drive, he had three catches for 31 right. yards. He ended up with... 10 catches, 177 yards on 13 targets, and I feel like Slay was within a step on like eight or nine of them. The one to the, to the to the left sideline deep down the field where Darius Slay, crafty dude, has DK Metcalf's inside arm pinned to his side and then with his right arm tries to punch through the pocket to break it up and Metcalf just one hands it. Pins it against his giant yeah. bicep. Like, what are Listen, you supposed to do there? Exactly. Like, the, the, like, there's <laughs> there's two things that are true. One, Darius Slay got absolutely <laughs> sunned. Yes. Just big boy sure. by DK sure. Metcalf. I mean, you even watch the you watch those slants. You watch the the the, the slot fade. You watch the downfield yeah. routes. I mean, Metcalf's just stiff arming kid, right? Just just absolutely bodied him for the whole game. And two. Slate really couldn't have done much better under the circuit, right? You know, like it's it, sometimes. He's, point, but, right? and look, Jalen Ramsey can can do better than right. him, right? Jalen Ramsey is an elite corner. I don't I don't consider Darius Slate to be in that elite shutdown type style. Right. I think he's a tier below. But when you're a tier below and you're up against DK Metcalf, mm-hmm. boy, that matters a whole lot, right? And 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 it's funny because he gets just railed by Metcalf on the first drive. 
they yeah. start taking him off the line of scrimmage, off ball. He's a little bit more successful. You know, he get, get, gives up a speed out. He gives up a slant. He had downfield separation on the one where Russ kind of missed Metcalf by a little bit. The slot fan, I mean, it's great coverage. The third and 15 could have, should have, would have been a touchdown. He's tripping. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, he's in phase for a lot of these and just losing at the catch point, which is where I think he's been at his most week this year. And, and Metcalf has such a size advantage on him. There's, it's not a good performance when you give up 177 yards. It was a bad performance by Slay. But it was not as if he was coming out there and had no idea the guy he was facing and the way it was going to come. He he was prepared for the routes. He understood what was developing. And like, you know, he, he knew the scouting report on Metcalf, the strengths, the weaknesses. Metcalf was just outside of his mind. Yeah. And what's funny is you say, okay, you know, he comes out and press initially. Not working well, so they move him to off-man coverage. Obviously, they continue to feed Metcalf, and it continues to be successful. What What was the next move? Right. What was the next option? Yeah. The Eagles can't play zone. They can't play zone because they do not have any linebackers who are successful in zone coverage. They don't really have any box safeties who are successful in zone coverage either. So when they do play zone, they just give up a ton of easy stuff to the middle of the field. They couldn't have Slay stop shadowing Metcalf because right. they have nobody else who can even remotely nearly cover DK Metcalf. Like if you thought Darius Slay was getting big boyed by DK Metcalf, Avante Maddox and Nickel Roby Coleman would have, you know, it would have truly been varsity versus JV in the summer months. Mm-hmm. And so the it, we knew the Eagles were going to come in and play heavy man. We knew that the Seahawks have been very successful against man coverage. DK Metcalf beat Darius Slay around the yard. That was their best option. Got absolutely waxed by Metcalf. <laughs> We have Devonte Adams incoming. I think Slay will do better against Adams because he profiles just more. Uh, he profiles better against that mold yes. receiver versus a mold of like Metcalf. Yeah. Metcalf's also a top two receiver in terms of how he's playing right now. But this is what they have. It was tons of resources to Slay. We're going to play man coverage and we're going to invest no more into deep safety, no more into our other corners, and no more into our linebackers. And this is what you have, and this is the nature of not putting enough into the secondary. Is that number one, you don't have any change up pitches, you don't have any other arrows in your quiver. And number two, you don't have the ability when they're just attacking a matchup, Metcalf versus Slay, to just introduce a different player, even in the man coverage, and put like you know your round two rookie corner and just say, listen, go hold him. You know what I mean? Just do something. Like we're gonna, like Slay's obviously getting beat. They're looking after the matchup. We're gonna change something. And we're gonna make them do something else. They have no other options because every all of their hopes of a good passing defense were pushing chips in on Darius Slay and then playing man coverage behind him, and that's worked a lot. But it's not working tonight against a player like Metcalf. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, corners versus wide receivers, I thought Avante Maddox had fantastic coverage on the touchdown to to David Moore. Like in phase, like uh, like right, right where you need to be. It's a great ball from Russ. Very nice catch. But like Avante's just uh, he, his arms aren't long enough. He's not tall enough and he's not going to be able to be physical enough. He's not an outside corner. And what's your other option there? Mm-hmm putting Jalen Mills at outside corner. That's not an option. Did you see the Jim Schwartz quote oh, no. for Metcalf? No. What do you say? Uh, this from Michael Sean Duger of The Athletic. Uh, DK says Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz came up to him and said, quote, I was in Detroit with Megatron. You're not there yet. And quote, it put a chip on DK's shoulder. Why would you do that? Why? Why would you do no, that? I love poking the beast, man. I think that's always a good policy. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, sure. No, I'm very interested to see, you know, uh, Brian Greasy was talking a lot about levels and a lot about the Eagles passing off bunches and man coverage and that like is new. Uh, so I'm excited yeah. to see what that looked like for Philadelphia and how they did that successfully. The Seahawks left Metcalf isolated the whole game, yep. right? So they, they the Eagles would play match zone and leave Slay on man coverage on, on 
a Metcalf to the outside, and they would play true man and just have, you know, Mills, Roby Coleman, and Maddox pass off the bunch or, or, or read those routes and man-match those routes, and again, just leave Slay on the outside. So the Seahawks always knew they had it. Um, and all of their targets that didn't go there were, were largely unsuccessful, right? The David Moore nonsense on line of scrimmage. Tyler Lockett was largely, largely held in check. They did nothing with the tight ends. Chris Carson a little bit early, but then that was pretty much shut down. So it was the, the majority of the passing game went through Metcalf. It's very interesting. Also excited to see the performance of the defensive line. This was a good day for Javon Hargrave to have a really good game. It's mm. probably a month and a half too late, yeah. but it was still nice to see. Uh, this is not a great interior offensive line, even with Ethan Pochick back. And so it was good to see Fletch Hargrave have the game they were supposed to have. Derek Barnett obviously was impactful early against Dwayne Brown. Didn't that Brandon Graham, I thought was going to beat up on Cedric Boy. He didn't necessarily do that as much. Um, but uh, I'm curious to see what the genesis of the success against the run was, because you had your typical Alex Singleton tackles on the line of scrimmage. And it seemed like they were playing really gapped out and just sitting in, in single high as we expected. And they were really, really solid against the run. I do agree that it was a better defensive performance than expected. I don't think it was like, wow, the defense really was great you know what i mean like i uh they forced no turnovers uh they had a couple of uh, i think they had two three and outs uh they had to deal with a short field and gave up a field goal and that's very laudable but like in the first half the seahawks had six drives and three of them ended up inside the two yard line yep true one of them was zero points you know the fourth down stop that's a high leverage play for sure that's awesome but put the shoe on the other foot if we were Eagles, if, if Eagles called that play on fourth and two, would we be like, wow, the defense really hunkered down? Or would we be like, I'm going to murder Doug Peterson with a blunt instrument? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a little bit of uh, help that came from Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer there. So to me, I, I, I didn't see a, a particularly dominant defensive performance. No. They took away the run like they usually do. Mm-hmm. They stuck to their guns and pass coverage like they usually do. And they got burned for it like they usually do. One more thing before we go to three words. We have to talk about the decision on fourth and four. And the Eagles, this is the the interception uh, that happened with, I think, the miscommunication with Goddard. The Eagles are down 20 to 9, right? So if you, you kick a field goal here, right? Okay, you're you're within eight points. And if you score a touchdown, you're closer than that. You're going to eventually... How are people still confused by this? The Eagles have been... He's been doing this for five years. That's what I don't get. Guy wrote a book about it. Everybody bought it, Right. Everybody, yeah. everybody lauded the Eagles for utilizing analytics and, and saying, you know, green light, yeah, go for it. Yellow light, okay, gut decision. Red light, don't go for it. According to Ed Sports, this is a green light situation. This is what the Eagles have always done. To argue against it is to go against everything that they that they have done and been successful with with those fourth down decision making, which, by the way, fourth downs, I would say up until this year, have been extremely successful for the Eagles. They aren't right. changing. Doug is not changing this. To expect that to change is crazy. And the only reason you're mad about it is because Carson Wentz didn't make the right throw. That's it. Period. I mean, like, it's such right. a dumb conversation to me to even expect the Eagles yeah. not to exactly. go for that. The, to that point, the Eagles drives-wise had the touchdown drive, which only got into that range because of yes. an un, un, intentional grounding penalty that literally is incomprehensible. Ben, I had right? people, I had people telling me, "Well, the offense stinks." Okay, well, if the offense stinks and you don't think they can convert fourth and four from the fifteen, right. how do you think they're going to get all the way it's, back and score another right, touchdown? Exactly, it's it's to score a touchdown you need to get to the zero, and to right. score a field goal you need to get to the thirty-five. Right. So if your offense is bad and you're already past the thirty-five, you should keep going. Yes, because you're not going to get here again, and if you kick the field goal, you're going to need to get here again. Yeah. So right, the Eagles scoring drives wise, they had the uh, end of the first half drive, which Doug Pierce was like, "This was a big momentum builder." My G, 
it should have been second and 39, <laughs> right? They didn't call intentional grounding yes. in the most – and just – I've never draft. seen an olive branch from a refereeing crew who feels so bad for an offense. And right. they're like, no, it's not intentional grounding, honey. Keep it up. You're doing great. Second and 10. We're so proud of you. You're on the other side of the 50. We love you. You're great. And so that I mean, is just like the worst penalty ever. Or worst no call, I suppose. Yeah. They get the touchdown there. And then to open the second half, they get the drive that gets down to the Seattle, I want to say like inside the 20, and then they throw two more vertical Jalen Rager balls, <laughs> neither of which are even remotely close to connecting, and then they kick the field goal. So they had had two drives to that point that made it across the Seattle 50. You can't act like you're going to realistically get here again. Yes. It's not likely. Your team is bad. And so you have to... Take that opportunity as close as you are to scoring to continue trying to score. And as as they pointed out in the broadcast, th- there were multiple receiving options open. They went empty. They got man coverage. They had Richard Rodgers out open yeah. against Jamal Adams. Right. As Dallas Goddard said in the thing, you know, I, I Dallas Goddard said, it was a really great quote, I should have been where he thought <laughs> I should have been. I think that's what he said. Let me find it. 30 for 30, you know, that's that's yeah. the Eagles 2020 uh, season right there. I should have I should have been where he thought I should be. Which <laughs> <laughs> like okay. that Confucius said that once, looking at a tea leaf and pondering the moon and the sun. I should have been where he thought I should be. Oh. <laughs> like what a quote. Sure? Yeah. But also he should have thought about where you were going. Right. And you should have agreed, like, I think so, but maybe not. This anyway, is a Buddhist so, riddle that, yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. They And it's funny because, like, this is the classic play where uh, uh, you know, a heavy uh, cadre of Wentz apologists in, in, in Eagles media, national media, and everybody will be like, this interception is not Wentz's fault. Goddard goes to the wrong spot. And it's like, yeah, we know. It's still hilarious and laughable and the team's still bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Still it's still just very funny <laughs> that we're in week 11 of Wentz's fifth season. He's throwing to a tight end he's had for three years, and they still don't know which way they're going to turn. Correct. That it's still a problem that, that's had here. So. Right. I, I, I have absolutely no issue with the decision to go for it on fourth and four. I have absolutely no issue with the subsequent decision to go for it on fourth and 31 <laughs> when they were down by 14 um, or whatever. And I have no issue with the decision to go for two after they score the Hail Mary touchdown because, once again, I had Seattle minus five, not minus six and a half. Suck it! <laughs> Let's get to three words from the gentle listeners as you know, every week at BGN underscore radio, we tweet out, we ask for your three words that sum up uh, the game that just happened. In this case, it is this dumb loss that brings the Eagles to 3-7-1 and one on the season. Let's get to a couple here. Uh, Nicholas Gravas at Nick Gravas says, Doug his grave, as in Doug Peterson. Oh, hot. wow. Word play. I hadn't seen that one before, and I got to say, that's pretty impressive. Also, Swan Ronson, I see, I see a lot of these uh, at Swan Ron and his phone number. Carson for butts. I like that. There's a lot of butts. Uh, Zach Carey at Zach underscore Carey underscore butts for everything. I would agree with that. Here's here's the ones that I like. The ones that incorporate the emojis. I need a ruling on this, Ben. Tom Connors at Tom W. Connors. Fire emoji. Everyone into the sun emoji. Three I'll words. It. Two, two images. Yep. Three words. Three words? I mean, like, when you send the tweet, Mike, you send three words, but you send two emojis, little angry oh. faces. So it could be implied Ooh. that the only acceptable mentions are those with two emojis, but actually three words is only two words. So never mind. Redacting this. Anyway, the emojis are fine. Uh, B Sham, at the boy B Sham, also with emojis, says, pack your belongings. Uh, and then he has a picture of 
a suitcase, a briefcase, and they also has a picture of briefs <laughs> underwear. Uh, I didn't know that Google Chrome, if I let my mouse hover over the emojis, would tell me exactly what the emojis are, which is very helpful. That is a, that is helpful um, because Byronic Gyro came in with one. It is a peach emoji, a, a number four emoji, and a football. So butts for football. Butts for Speaking football? of which, I, wanna, I want your thought on this. Some people want them to, to fire Doug now and make Deuce Daly the interim head coach. And I had this discussion on Monday Football Monday on the SB Nation NFL show talking about uh, Raheem Morris and what the Jaguars are doing with keeping Doug Marone, right? I think I think the Jaguars are making the right decision and kind of riding this out for the rest of the season if they do that because it it doesn't allow that interim head coach to get hot for like two or three games and give you an excuse to do more of the same with parts of the same coaching staff. Like I respect the heck out of Deuce Daly. If he is not the offensive coordinator by now, the Eagles obviously don't see him as one. And I don't think they see him as a head coach. Uh, I also think that opens the door for them to make the excuse that, hey, we should promote Deuce Daly. I do not want more of the same. I want things to change. Ultimately, I think Doug stays. I don't know. But at the same time, if I have a choice, if Doug is fired, I would rather it be at the end of the season. I do not want an interim head coach. I do not want to run anything back other than what? Jeff Stoutland, offensive line coach. Keep him. Like, that's right, about it. Yeah. Crane at CraneJ311. Hertz packages suck. Did we talk what? Uh, in this podcast about what Hertz, Hertz package? Yeah, we did. We talked about his one play. Like, and then, and then the snafu with the, with the green dot. Like, again, what we were promised. The Jalen Hurts, <laughs> the, the truly. I the most amazing thing for this team in this season was putting Jalen Hurts in. Well, firstly, putting Jalen Hurts in. First and ten, passage on Hightower, yes. one yard. Second and nine, Jalen Hurts is in. False start. We don't know how to do the cadence. Oh, he's a rookie. Uh, it's totally okay. It's only week eleven. <laughs> Second and fourteen, we leave Jalen Hurts in. No Carson Wentz on the field. We finally did it. We finally learned that this is allowed. Completion for six yards. To that point, the Eagles had. I think, what, negative four net yards passing or something like that. Yeah. And then third and eight, they've had Jalen Hurts in there for two snaps, one of which was a false start, and they pull him out and Carson Wentz gets sacked. And it's just what, why, like what point, is that just like, a, is it a massive middle finger to Jeff Lurie? Like that's what, it, it, it's got to be a massive middle finger to Jeff Lurie. See, the way Doug is going to explain this is game flow. Mm-hmm. Right, We had a package for Hertz. We know when and where we wanted to use it, but the game script, it just didn't allow for it because you know you guys don't have the advantage of, right. of going in there and constructing the game plan with us and blah, blah. You know, all the normal condescending Doug stuff that's awkward right. at press. Well, what, 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 did, what, did, what, <laughs> what did he say about Alshon Jeffrey in the immediate post-game presser? I, what did he say? Do you, did you see it? I, Do you know? I have not seen it, no. Okay, take any guess what he said about Alshon Jeffrey. Oh, man. Uh, he's a part of this team moving forward. Uh, we like with the matchup. Uh, that part of the part of the script. I, I don't, I, what, is that right. like... He's, he's continuing to get healthy yes. and improving, and he's going to continue to be a part of the game plan. Part, part of the game plan. He's getting healthier by the week, and he's improving by the week, and we're just going to continue by the week, putting him in. And guess what's going to be the case in week 16, Mike, with one game left? Alshon Jeffrey's getting more healthy, and he's improving week to week, and he's got, he can't jump a run. <laughs> it's, it's not going to change. It's so, it's so bizarre, dude. So, yeah, the the Hurts thing, I mean, like, I don't know if it was just a massive okey-doke. Like, I don't know why. I mean, maybe we're all idiots for believing that there was a chance Jan Hurts was going to do anything. But it's... It, it, if they want to beat the Packers, they should play Hurts. Packers have no linebackers and can't stop the run. Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, run the ball 40 times, win the game 9-7. to seven. It'd be great. Yep. 
Uh, Darius Slay, this is from Baron and Lee Gowton, since we're doing the presser stuff here. Darius Slay was asked if there was any talk about the Eagles giving him more help against DK Metcalf. Slay says, quote, hell nah, I don't need no help. Next question, end quote. Mm. I mean, you were there. He also, he said, he said, he also said in his post-game availability, he said, uh, that was the, the single worst game that I've played in my career. I lost every 50 ball. Okay. He said props to DK, like he beat me. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I think, I think that's, like, Slay's like, is... That's how Slay is. Right, Slay's right, like, right. Oh, yeah, I'm a cornerback because he's a corner, and that's what corners do. Um, but he 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 absolutely was cognizant of how badly he got waxed by Metcalf, and that's how it goes, man. Any last thoughts on this uh, on this Eagles loss? This 23 to 17 Eagles loss sends the Eagles to again three seven and one. Seattle Seahawks are eight and three now, and the Giants the Giants retain uh, the Giants retain the lead. In the least wanted division in the NFL, very proud of their 19 to 17 win over Brandon Allen and the Cincinnati Bengals, who have a locker room that is completely falling apart and uh, coaching issues and all that stuff. So it's going to be a fun division to track for the rest of this thing. This was totally expected, so it's hard to be really upset. But I don't know, man. I don't know how long Lori will uh, will hang on to this thing and, and and allow it before making some major changes. But any last thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, final wide receiver snap count: Ward forty-seven, Rager forty-two, Alshon and Fulgham both with thirty-six. Come on, man! Ward is getting your most snaps. High Tower with nineteen. Wow, that's nice. <laughs> they brought him back. So new personnel. No, I'm ready to go. So you might as well just say goodbye to the gentle Thank listeners. Thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Sell Like Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. The Eagles lose one to the Seattle Seahawks, twenty-three to seventeen. Let's be honest; it was twenty-three to nine. Uh, 23 to 17. They drop, as Mike said, to 3, 7, and 1. They are now picking, I believe, sixth in the projected draft order with Green Bay, New Orleans, and Arizona all on the dock. It should be a fun month. You will be prepped for all of those games with increasingly serious and austere and high gravity intensity podcasts here on BGN Radio, including our weekly preview show of the matchup. So if you enjoy, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's KST. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Um. We all we got. Drive safe. <laughs> we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Yay. B-G-N.